0: Right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. So thankful that you're here today. If you are a guest with us, I um, want to welcome you especially, but also let you know that in the um, uh, hospitality room, which when you go out these doors immediately to the left, um, there is a mug, a Cornerstone mug on it that is yours for free if you'd like to take that. Inside the mug is a, uh, a card that uh, if you'd be willing to fill out and leave there uh, for us, that would help us to get to know you better. Uh, that would be great. You're not required to do that. The mug is yours either way. Uh, but want to let you know about that. Also, I want to uh, thank Susan. Uh, is she in here today? Right here. Uh, Susan and the team that helped with VBS this week. Uh, what a blessing. If you didn't get to peek in and see it, such a joy um, all week long. And so thank you for all the work you put into it. Everyone else that helped, uh, really great. So let's thank them. Yeah. Well, this morning we are uh, looking at the last section in the letter uh, to the Galatians. we we'll to be looking at Galatians 6, 11 through 18. So go ahead and turn there. This is not going to be the last sermon uh, in Galatians. That will be next week. We're going to do a summary of the letter uh, as a reminder of the main things that Paul is emphasizing throughout this letter. I want to say I've so enjoyed going through this together with you. It is a joy to study and work through God's Word together. In the text today, we find that Paul is restating his case. He is ending on the themes that he began the letter with in hopes that the Galatians will hear and respond with right hearts and embrace the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the text together and work through it. If you're able to stand, please do so and follow along as I read Galatians 6, beginning with verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Whether we act like it is truth or not, it is truth we praise you and thank you for entrusting it to us and giving us a way to know you, Jesus, through it. So we pray for your help. We pray that you would help us as we go through the text, as you guide our hearts, that we would lean into your word today, Father. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. There's a good reminder in this verse for us that Paul doesn't write every word of his letters. He usually has a secretary who takes down the words of the letter as Paul tells him. That's true of other letters from Paul, not just Galatians. We know from Romans 16, the end of the letter, it says, "'I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord.'" 1 Corinthians 16, 21 and 22, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Colossians four eighteen. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And then 2 Thessalonians three seventeen. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. In other words, he, at this point in these letters, takes the quill or the pen away from the secretary, who would be uh, known as an uh, amanuensis, and writes these last verses of whatever letter it is he's writing. So he's been um, dictating all of these words. And they've been written down from him, but now he takes up the pen and writes. And it says that he writes with large letters. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, what does Paul mean there by uh, I'm writing to you with large letters? I want you to notice that I'm writing with large letters. There's, There's differing opinions on that but most likely it was a form of how we use bold or italics to emphasize what we are saying. He's wanting them to pay special attention to these words. He's saying, I want to emphasize the immense importance of what I have written to you. Continues, verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So now at this point, Paul begins to uh, indict those rival teachers he's been writing about throughout the letter. He's addressing the motives and intentions of these rival teachers. First, he says that they're forcing the Galatians to be circumcised because they want to look good to others. That their motive is that they want to look good to other people. They're trying to get them circumcised to demonstrate to those who are pressuring them that they were committed to the law of Moses. It seems as if the rival teachers have been sent out to get the Galatians who have believed in Christ through Paul's ministry to fall in line with the basics of Judaism. And so Paul says they're just doing this to make a good showing in the flesh. They want praise and attention that would come because they forced these others to fall in line. Paul makes it clearer in his next indictment. They're doing it so that they themselves won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. The message translation says here, these people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by a faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. They know that if they submit to the truth of the one true gospel, they will be persecuted. And they don't want that. That's Paul's indictment of them. But He continues, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. His next indictment against the rival teachers is that they act as if obeying the Mosaic law is required to be a part of Abraham's family. He's made that clear throughout this letter. That if you want to be a part of God's chosen people, then you must be circumcised or you must do this. But Paul says they don't obey the law of Moses. Moses. They're advocating circumcision as an outward and obvious sign, but they're not keeping the law. They're selective in the laws that they want to obey or that they require to be obeyed. Remember, this is Paul writing. Paul knows exactly what it looks like to seriously observe the law. He was committed to... Before Christ, he was committed to the law of Moses. So he knows that these rival teachers are not interested in obeying the law. They're interested in in being boasted in. They're interested in avoiding persecution. For them, it is all a show. They want to boast in your flesh, Paul says. Their goal is to be able to go back to Jerusalem and claim a prize. To be able to say that they were successful and receive the praise of the Jewish nationalists who are pushing them in this direction. They want to boast in their success in recruiting these Galatians to their side. It was all for appearance, Paul says. And again, ultimately, they don't want to face persecution. You look at how Paul stands out as an example of faithfulness to God and to the gospel of Jesus in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If I'm going to boast, Paul says, if I'm going to boast about anything in this life, It's going to be about nothing other than the cross of Jesus Christ. It's because of the cross that the world has been crucified to me. It's because of the cross that I have been crucified to the world. Paul's saying, I am who I am because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that alone. And so if I'm going to boast, I'm only going to boast in Christ and the cross of Christ. saying he's been set free from this mindset of just trying to please others and fitting into what they say is right. We're freed from that, Paul says. The cross of Christ alone dictates his direction now, as it should all of us. Our decisions, our directions, our boasting, our everything should come only through the cross of Jesus Christ. You Consider this. Consider what Paul is saying here. What else matters? Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He lived the way that you and I can never live. He didn't have to come, but He came. Because He loves us and His mercy toward us is so great. And in His coming, He laid down His life willingly. And literally, He died on a cross. And He did that to bear the punishment of our sins. That's grace. That's the grace that Paul has been boasting in throughout this entire letter. And so Paul's saying, why would I boast in anything except for that? Why would I boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ? There's nothing, nothing that compares. He doesn't want to live in a way or boast in a way that teaches anything other than the supremacy of the cross of Christ. He continues in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Belonging to the Jewish nation by being circumcised or being a Gentile by remaining uncircumcised, Paul says, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference. Neither matter. What matters is that God has formed a new people. God has formed the church. And this new people is an entirely new creation in Christ. And so what matters is that you know that you are a part of this new creation in Christ. That you're a part of God's new humanity. Since the world has been crucified to Paul, it doesn't matter if someone is circumcised or uncircumcised. The new creation has dawned through the cross of Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? What does it look like for someone to believe and live like this? Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 14. He says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You Consider what Paul writes there and the new creation in Jesus Christ. Paul says the love of Christ controls us. Don't you want that? What leads to this for Paul? What leads to him saying, the love of Christ controls us? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's what leads Paul to say that. He says, we have concluded this. The love of Christ controls us for, because, we have concluded This, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This, Paul is saying, is what a solid belief in the cross of Christ looks like. He goes on in 2 Corinthians, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. It's the same as in in Matthew, in in, uh, chapters 5 through 7, and and we know those those verses in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount where it's, um, you are the salt of the earth, or you are the light of the world. Jesus doesn't say that in Christ you are becoming the salt of the earth. He doesn't say you are becoming the light of the world. You are those things. Whether you feel like that or not, you are those things. Now what you represent is a different question. Whether the love of Christ controls you or not is a different question. It's, it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He, the first three chapters in the letter to the Ephesians, he tells those in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, this is who you are in Christ. You are holy and blameless before him because of what he accomplished and nothing at all of what you could accomplish. You are holy and blameless before Him. And then in chapter 4, He takes the turn into the practical. Therefore, now, start becoming and practice what you already are in position. So you are a new creation. Whether you reflect that or not is a different question. You are a new creation in Christ. Because of the cross. And it's that hope that Paul is saying should lead us to be able to say the love of Christ controls me. Controls us. So again, here in chapter 6 of Galatians, if circumcision is practiced for cultural reasons and not to achieve salvation, then observance is up to the individual. It doesn't matter. It's nothing, Paul says. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation in Christ. Verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Whoever lives according to this reality of the new creation... When he says that whoever lives according to this reality, it's a contrast to those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. He prays for mercy for them and on the Israel of God. Now, now what does that mean? Who, who are they? Who is the Israel of God? The Israel of God are the as for all in the beginning of the verse. All the church can be called the Israel of God or the true circumcision. Philippians 3, verse 3, Paul writes, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are that. Paul has argued throughout the letter that circumcision is unnecessary and that those who put their faith in Christ belong to the family of Abraham. So when he says here the true Israel of God, he's saying that believers in Christ, members of the new creation, are the true Israel. They are God's chosen people. All believers in Christ are part of the true Israel, part of God's Israel, not by birth into a specific biological family, but by rebirth into a spiritual one. He prays peace and mercy on all who are and who live as a part of this new creation. verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul ends here saying, I don't want to be troubled with these things any longer. I don't want to be bothered by these disputes. There is one true gospel of Jesus. It is simple. It is true. And he's saying to these Galatians, you know the truth. And I don't want to be bothered with these disputes. The trouble that has been brought to the church in Galatia and the trouble that has been brought on Paul must now stop, he says. The new creation has been inaugurated. No one no one should bother Paul with the requirements and regulations of the old creation because we're now the new creation in Christ. And then he makes this incredible statement, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You think about this statement in context with this letter and the purpose of this letter. The rival teachers have forced marking the body, right? The physical marks of circumcision will be there for any who follow their teaching. They're being pushed onto people as a way of identifying them as God's true people. That's what the rival teachers are saying. But those marks, Paul is saying, are not sufficient. They're nothing. Those are not the marks of Christ. Paul says, I bear the marks of Christ on my body. I bear on my body the scars of following Jesus. The scars that show that I belong to Jesus. And what are those scars? The very thing the rival teachers were seeking to avoid. The scars of persecution. Paul Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul says these are the marks of following Jesus. Jesus. 1 Peter 4.1, Peter writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Live this life armed, readied with the thinking that I will be persecuted. I will suffer because I'm following the one who suffered. have the mind of Christ in this Peter writes be ready to suffer as Christ suffered he goes on in chapter 4 beginning with verse 12 beloved do not be surprised when the fiery trial or at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter is writing about the example, really, of Paul and of himself. He's saying, as a follower of Christ, be ready and have this mind among yourselves. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes as if something strange were happening to you. Now, Peter is wonderful in clarifying in the midst of it. If you suffer for being a jerk, don't boast in that. Don't be happy about that. Don't be excited about that. That, that's, that That's worldly suffering. But if you suffer for faithfulness to Jesus, then rejoice because Christ's Spirit is on you. Paul says, they're promoting scars that are nothing at all. My scars are the scars of Jesus. The scars that show I belong to Christ. And in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. That's beautiful. After all of the indictment, after all of the things he's written in this, what does he say? You are still my family. You're still my brothers and my sisters. And I love you. And I want God's grace to be upon you. This is a word-for-word identical uh, closing as the one uh, in Philippians except for Brothers or brothers and sisters is more likely there. His prayer for them is grace. Grace. As we close this section, I want to ask you what is it that you find yourself boasting in most often? really think about that. It may take thought. It may take effort. What is it that you find yourself boasting in most often? For me, my temptation is greatest with my kids. I boast. I love my kids. I love those boys. And so it's very easily, easy for me to boast in them before Christ. Paul says, if I'm going to boast, let it only be in the cross of Christ. Now, let's not confuse that. It doesn't mean don't take joy in your children, or don't take joy in your job, or don't take joy in your accomplishments, or don't take... He's not saying that, right? It, it's, it's, I go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, which in the Hebrew is the joy of my joys. In other words... The joy that makes all of these other actual joys more joyful. The joy that if it wasn't there, then these other joys, my children, my job, my recreation, whatever whatever you would include in that, wouldn't be as joyful without the joy that is filling those. Paul says, this is my aim, my goal, is that if I boast, I boast only in the cross of Christ. And in that boasting, what does it mean and look like in your life for you to be crucified to the world? Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded that one died. That's what we remember each and every week as we take the Lord's Supper together. Christ died, His body broken so that you and I could go free. His blood poured out so that we could be clean, we could be pure, we could be sinless and forgiven before God, or holy and blameless, as Paul says in Ephesians. And so as we prepare to take the bread and the cup today, Let's pray for grace. You're going to be dismissed by Rose. Come down to the table and receive the bread and the cup and then go back. Uh, encourage you to go through the middle aisle uh, on the way back just to not have as much uh, bumping into people. But as you go back and you hold the bread and the cup and, and wait for us to take it together, let's pray for grace that the truth of the one true gospel, would sink deep into our hearts. That we could say with Paul, we have concluded this. And therefore, the love of Christ controls us. And if we boast, we only boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love You and we thank You. We thank You for Your grace. Unending grace. Father, we pray that you'd help us, even in this time as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, help us, help us to examine our own hearts. And What is it that we truly boast in, Lord? And help us to be a people who boast in the cross of Christ. We confess, Lord, we need your help in these things. So help us even now, help us to truly remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Together we pray in Christ's name, amen.